Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matt Penny is back in the building. Penny, how's it going, man? It's good to good to hear your voice again on the podcast. <laughs> it's great to hear my own voice on the podcast. I don't that sounded weird. Uh no, I had the uh the podcast itch. I was waiting. I normally get like the Wednesday PM text message. I went to bed late. I'm like, ah, nothing from Sam. And I woke up for one at like 5 a.m. Like, hey, pod tomorrow? I'm like, yes, let's go. Yes, let's do this thing. Uh, so today, we're going to run through some draft prospects. And particularly, we're going to do something a little bit different. We haven't talked about the top guys in a while, I feel like. Uh, we've talked about the Ignite guys. But we haven't talked about the top college guys, even like the top, you know, maybe even let's say most of the top 15. So we're going to talk about them. And we're going to talk particularly about just what our biggest concerns are, maybe. Um, not, not even like what their weaknesses are, but if there's one thing that's going to hold this guy back, what is it? What, what, what do we think it is? Right. So I, I guess that that's like a good way to kind of go into this conversation. So we're not as much going to be talking about the positives with these kids. And there are plenty of positives with these kids. And I, I want to outline that, right? Like, I need to make sure we say uh, all of these kids are very good at basketball. And <laughs> it's, this they, is tough for you because it's like, this is like the player haters ball episode. You're, you're Mr. Positivity for the most part, despite, yeah, like, despite how much the comments section of your recent articles may try to turn you, you are a generally positive guy by nature. So you're going to have to come into my world for a little bit. The negativity that oh, everything the, stinks world. Yeah. The internet is just like a mean place. Um, it keeps getting better and meaner in that in that sense too. Yeah, it's just not a nice place. Um, you write you write like fifty thousand words on prospects. You explain <laughs> within the words like why you have guys where you have them ranked, and then they're just like, "Yeah, this sucks." Like this is uh, it's, it's always tough. Um, yeah. Having said that, all of these prospects we're going to talk about are great in their own ways, and you know, Kate Cunningham's unbelievable. Evan Mobley is ridiculous uh jalen green is an incredible athlete like jalen suggs is awesome like i want to be clear about that before we go in but like these guys are top five picks for a reason and i want to just kind of run through what if there's something that's going to give you pause as a prospect what are what is that pause you know what i mean like what what are we what are we stopping at with here right matt yeah what makes the the prospect a little bit what would make them more well-rounded? What's the the maybe one hang-up? We have been fairly positive on all these guys, but look, they're still in college. They're still 18, 19, 22 years old. They got stuff to work on, and some of them just shine through a little bit more now that we're, yeah, depending on the team, anywhere from 11 to 15 games into the season right now. Okay. And at the end, we are going to talk maybe about like a couple other smaller things. I have a big board coming tomorrow. I don't know that I want to give away too much of the big board, but maybe we can do that like on the next show. Maybe we'll do like an early show next week on Monday and like we'll figure out, um, you know, where are my, where are my, uh, weaknesses in this thing? Right. Yeah. So maybe throw a few darts too. Like who do you have ninth and 32nd? Just a little preview, a little snippet. Yeah. Having said that, there is, we're going to do a thing at the end where, um, because we're talking negatively, I want to give one of us the space to just give a player that maybe hasn't been talked about uh, a little bit more love than what we've seen so far. So I have my guy. I've texted you. My guy is. Um, we'll. Uh, I'll let you give some love to one of your guys, and then we'll. Uh, we'll go from there. So Penny, 
let's uh let's start our deep dive into just some of the concerns that these guys have our one biggest concern about some of these prospects let's start with Cade cunningham who is still number one on all of our boards right yeah no one has taken the leap to to take him off that top spot as much as i think some people would like to 19 points per game six rebounds 3.6 assists but 4.1 turnovers his last five games have been 4.4 turnovers and that's kind of been more of the hang up for me lately because many of the turnovers aren't even really his teammates fault which we've used as a crutch for a while i would say earlier in the year he was stripped at the top of the key late in the game versus texas tech he was tied up in the lane during overtime he's had a little bit of more errant cross-court passes lately and he even got away with a couple on drives where instead of jump stopping he tried to like plow through the defense and luckily it was called a block and we don't know what a block and a charge is yet and he got an at one but we've given him this pass and sort of blamed a supporting cast. So my question kind of turned back to you is, are we concerned? How concerned are we with the handle if he's going to be a primary ball handler at the next level at the NBA? So a little bit. I think he needs to get stronger on the ball. I think that that is a reasonable, if we're, if we're going to come up with a complaint for Cade Cunningham, it's probably that. Now, you say it's not his teammate's fault. And no. I don't want to like, you know, absolutely crush his teammates here because his teammates like are part of the reason that Oklahoma State right now is sitting at 15 and 6 and looks like a very real threat to not only make the NCAA tournament but also maybe even make like a second weekend run in the NCAA tournament. Having said that, I think that his teammates specific weaknesses result in the paint getting crowded and getting more crowded and thus it ends up in a circumstance where, you know, there are guys like digging down on him and trying to strip the ball. There aren't going to be as many guys that are that close to the paint whenever paint or whenever Cade gets a paint touch uh, with the ball, just because if they leave shooters in the NBA, they're going to be leaving good shooters for the most part. So I think that the turnover issue is in large part a construction of the geometry of the court just being different in college basketball and Oklahoma State not having too many shooters, but it is a concern. Like the turnovers are really bad right now for Kate Cunningham. Yeah. And I think that's part of it. It's more like on the ball defenders stripping them, bobbling it. And it's not like the tightest handle. Like that's the part that scares me. Not necessarily the, the double teams, the digs, because you're right. It's just not going to happen when you have, 40% shooters in the corners in the NBA where they're going to make you pay every time. But I've just kind of seen him kind of playing best out of that elbow isolation or off the ball, or he can actually like set a screen, then catch it and have a side isolation. He's been seeing a lot of face guarding with, you know, he, he doesn't have like an escape and he can force the issue a little bit at times. And with all this being said, like he's shooting the ball from three better than what I anticipated, despite starting the season a little bit low. But just looking at the last draft, for the top four, I'd say, point guards, lead guards drafted, for the numbers they had for turnovers, either overseas in college versus the NBA. So LaMelo Ball, overseas, averaged 2.5 turnovers a game. Now in the NBA, 2.8. Killian Hayes, it's a small set because he hasn't played, he's been hurt, but 3.3 turnovers per game overseas, 2.4 in the NBA. Tyrese Halliburton, 2.8 turnovers at Iowa State 1.5 in the NBA and, and Kyra Lewis hasn't played a ton either but 3.5 turnovers at, at Alabama and then 0.4 turnovers now in the NBA so my my point of saying that is if he is averaging four turnovers right now is it a worry if it's like okay the first 30 games of the season he's averaging three and a half turnovers a game yeah that's a great question uh 
I think my answer is still gonna be no to that. And like, I, there's gonna be people who think I'm just like hand waving this issue. And- <laughs> a little bit. This is the issue to not hand wave. We started the disclaimer so you can like sink your jaws into a little bit if you feel like it. Yeah, no, I know. And, and, I, and I'm not, and I'm not trying to back into the corner, but there's only four guys in the NBA right now averaging more than four turnovers a game. Right. And Luka Doncic is one. And I think that yep. these guys that tend to be bigger ball handlers like this do tend to be a bit more turnover prone. Now, like Cade plays with great bend, right? Like he plays with great flexibility, but like whenever you have guys like digging into your handle and you're six foot eight and these guys digging in are like six foot two, it just kind of creates an angle with which they have an easier time kind of getting into the ball and getting into your handle because your handle just naturally is a bit higher when you're that tall, right? In the NBA, I just think that whenever he has fewer of those guys kind of digging into his handle, because if they do, he's going to hit a cross like kickout or he's going to hit a same side kickout even, because uh, I don't think NBA teams are really going to dig into him from a same side kickout. And if they do, he's going to absolutely destroy them. Uh, please do that, NBA teams, for funsies. <laughs> um, I just don't, I just think that it's so different once he gets to the NBA. Like, Few of his turnovers come from, oh shit, this guy just made a really bad passing decision. You know what I mean? Yeah, I thought a few more in the Texas Tech game that I had seen before, but it it was with the last four games with that many consistently, it's like, oh, here's the stat line and scroll over. It's like, oh, also five turnovers. All right, 20 points, seven rebounds, six assists, and four turnovers and seven turnovers. Like, that's just, you wouldn't think with the type of season he has, and he was like player of the game last game, they're interviewing him. And I had to look on my phone to see what his turnovers number were. And like, it's still a little bit of alarm. He's still a hard number one for me. I'm not trying to be a, a super hater either, but just something to, to look at and to chart. And that's what NBA teams will have to look at too and see how that translates to their team. And is there another maybe ball handler or play him off the ball a little bit? And can he be this wing facilitator as well? So there's different options when he's not going to have to be the focal point of everything offensively as well. Okay, let's go to number two here. Evan Mobley. What What is your concern with Evan Mobley? My concern is his strength. So yeah. Evan Mobley, seven feet tall, 210 pounds. Let's start with the positives. He's averaging close to 19 points per game, nine rebounds, three blocks and a steal. He's shooting 60% from the field, 35% from three in a limited set, 70% from the free throw line, scoring the ball, can do a little bit of creating from the perimeter, can be that escape valve in the press to bring the ball up. He rim rolls really well in pick and roll when there's no contact. He's even slippery in a sense of sneaking in behind the play on the fast break and and scoring when no one else is really paying attention. But it's just the way he's pushed around the post and struggles to maintain his position, even when they played Oregon the other night, LJ Figueroa, who's a, a bigger wing, was guarding him. But he had a hard time maintaining his spot, and he's able to bail himself out now because he has good length. He's a very soft touch over the top, and it's not like he doesn't initiate a bump either. It's more once he gets to that move, he can be pushed off where he's going, and I'm just worried that like that type of arm rebounding, arm extending is different when you're out of the Pac-12 and you have guys with seven foot two wingspans protecting the rim. Yeah, overall, I agree with you. I think that strength especially in conjunction with his body type as well because while evan mobley is very fluid athlete like if you watch him like flip his hips defensively it's kind of insane for someone who's seven foot like how the fuck does that guy do that kind of things um he does have very high hips and 
guys with high hips can tend to be moved around a little bit, right? And that's a, like, mechanical thing within his body that isn't going to go away, right? Like, you can't change that. He needs to get a lot stronger throughout his lower half. Like, you can mitigate the problem by getting stronger throughout your lower half, but you don't necessarily change uh, the way that your body is built over time. So Evan Mobley this year has an 18.2 defensive rebounding rate. If he's going to be like a legitimate defensive like stopper, I I think that like people are projecting him as like this, like frankly, like all defense guy. Like it feels like that's what the idea here is, right? For like some people. Yeah, I guess that's projection, but I, I don't necessarily see that. Yeah, I think he like could get there in a playoff setting where switchability is just a lot more important, right? Like I, I think that he can be an incredibly valuable center in a playoff setting because of that switchability and plus his like ball skills and everything. But I do worry that over the course of an 82 game season where he's kind of getting beaten up like across the court, is he going to be effective enough as a defensive rebounder? I think that you're going to be able to mitigate that as a team, but to do so, you're going to have to put a couple of really strong rebounding players next to him in a lineup, which just frankly kind of limits the way that you build your team a little bit. If you have to specifically go out and try and find a guy to make up for another player's skill in your lineup. And the weight gain is possible, and and people have made this parallel. And again, I'm not saying this is who he is, but Anthony Davis was listed at 220 pounds at Kentucky. He's now listed at 254 pounds. The problem is, like you said, you can't necessarily fix high hips, and you don't want to limit how quickly he's able to change ends and cover ground and get off the floor, all the positives that we've mentioned. And he still has, despite his, I'd say, slenderish frame, he has some wild plays every game through contact. He had one versus Arizona at the end of the first half. He short-rolled. He caught it. He faked one dribble left and finished with this like high kind of running hook. And I was like, I don't, there's not many guys that can do that move with no. fluidity. But then, you know, then the second half, you have Christian Coloco and, and Jordan Brown. They get him to fade on most of the attempts, but he has such a nice touch that he's, he's able to convert kind of falling away. So he's learned to play through this stuff, but consistently at the NBA level, there's going to have to be, I would guess, some change to his body type. No question. So. Let's go to number three here. Let's do. Who do you want to do next out of this? Because I don't want to give away who my. Yeah, I'm like, like man, I got like four. Is. I got like four. Yeah, I got four or five of these. You're 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 jumping. Can we still talk about Kaminga shooting? Are we okay doing that, or, or are we just going to pause because we've done so much G League? We've talked a lot about Kaminga's shooting uh, previously. I kind of buy it long term, but it's worth just noting, like, Jonathan Kaminga is shooting very poorly in the G League right now. Yeah, he's 12 for 47 from three. He's 26% from there, 67% of the free throw line. And, and like, everything looks the part, but the shooting numbers. Like, I, I badly want to put him second, but, like, that small sample, it's like if he's not able to do that with his physicality, like, he might push himself out of that wing position. And the, the form, I think, looks okay. It's a little bit of a, a narrow stance with a high release. The follow-through, the arms can drift a little bit. Like, it seems fixable, but the misses still go everywhere. And the two parallel players were just like, which path is this going to take? Jalen Brown at Cal was a 29% shooter. He took 102 attempts. He's 30 for 102. And now he's a 38% career three-point shooter at the Celtics. He shot 34% as a rookie. The other side of the token is Isaac Okora at Auburn last season shot 29%. He was 20 for 70. And this season, the NBA, he's 30% from three, 26 for 85. So almost identical. And 
look, there's already some angry fans on Twitter complaining that they didn't draft Tyrese Halliburton. So you, you kind of wonder which path Kaminga will go down because he does everything else you'd want in a prospect. He has the look, the size, he knows how to get his own points, but guys are going to start to back way off knowing that the shooting numbers, and it's going to be harder for him to get his points. Let's go to, uh, let's mix it up a little bit. Yeah. Why don't, why don't you lead off the lead off hitter here? Okay. I feel like let- I'm doing the scene from, uh, from old school where he's like doing the uh, debate. He's like, I don't know. What <laughs> Let's do Scotty Barnes next. Cause Scotty is interesting in a number of ways. We're obviously not going in order of like what my big board is. I, I don't have Scotty Barnes in my top five necessarily, but Scotty Barnes, I have no idea if he can score in the half court in a college game right now. Um, let alone if he can score in the half court in an NBA game. And it's interesting because I actually think, think that there are a lot of latent skills there he's a really good passer uh he is someone who can occasionally drive like i think that florida state doesn't use him super well like they play him more as like a point where he brings the ball up the court sometimes and then passes it off or he brings the ball up the court and then like maybe they'll run him through a ball screen i would love to see them like use him as a screener and get him in short rolls and then let him use his vision that way in mismatch settings it's a little bit harder to do that in college than it is in the nba because of the way the court is configured but i think that that's a more interesting way to utilize his skills but if he can't shoot, and I, I'm not convinced of the jumper right now, if he can't shoot, what does he do at the next level as an offensive threat is my question. 26% right now from three, 55% of the free throw line, which to me is a little bit even more alarming. And he just doesn't seem confident in his shot right now. When he releases it, his body sort of, sort of like contorts and hope it goes in. The more time he does get set, the better it looks. Like he had one straight up and down the other day where it looked good. It's like, okay, that's not bad. I just don't understand why he so badly wants to be a point guard because he's best from the elbows and in. I mean, he if he beats his man, even as a ball handler on a pick and roll, he almost immediately either turns his back and tries to back a guy in or he started doing this trend of kind of like mid-range floaters and, and pushing off with like the other arm. When he does take that extra dribble and, and dunk and extend, it's like, holy smokes, where did that come from? I mean, I, I pulled the clip the other day of of him like dribbling once from half court on a fast break and dunking. So you, you see the athletic tools, but when it slows down, okay, he's great in the middle of the zone. He was able to catch, relax, face up, kind of be this bigger facilitator. And I do think he's kind of this ultimate glue guy, especially defensively, where he can sit down and defend and he challenges shots at the rim on the perimeter. But I just don't necessarily know what the the offensive fit is beyond that if the shooting isn't there. And people think really highly of him. I mean, I mean, most places have him somewhere between six and ten. And yep. I, I don't. I mean, we've talked about it offline, and and people have talked it online too. I don't know who that person is that necessarily slides up and says, "Okay, no, Scotty's fourteen, but it would be enough to for me to give pause, I guess, to be like, okay, if he's not shooting, can't play in the half court, we slow it down. What happens? And a little bit still sample size and, and minutes per game too, because he's coming off the bench and playing a role, but I, I don't know as a rookie how much bigger his role would be either. Well, and like part of it too is that you could play him like he is like OG Ananobi size. Like he is enormous. He is six yeah. foot eight, six foot nine with like a seven foot two wingspan. He's 230 pounds. I, I don't think he moves quite as well as OG Ananobi does right now, but I think that there's some upside there. Like I, I just wonder if you can get him a bit more flexible 
maybe like maybe that's the move right like can you can you increase his flexibility and then you thus see like an improvement in his defensive ability but i mean he could play the five in the playoffs i think oh totally i mean i think that's kind of where it's trending the the og thing for me is he's just such a better shooter i mean the the jumper with the Raptors against the Celtics in the playoffs just like tattooed in my head. Like, no, like as soon as you release it, like you knew it's going in with Scotty. I don't, I don't have that same concern or fear right now. Right. Yeah. I, I don't either. He's going to have to shoot it at some point, I think, or he's going to have to play center and be like a short roll guy, which, which is not bad. Not like that's, that's also not a negative. Like some of these guys yeah. that end up being fives. We're not like, Oh, you're not going to play. Like there's value in a versatile five who in a pinch can handle the ball a little bit and isolation score and pull out slower defenders and make them change the way they play to fit the way you play. Yep, no question. So Let's go to let's go to Zaire Williams. I, I would love to hear from you what to do with Zaire Williams. Ooh, I'd love to hear from you what to do with Zaire Williams. I, I just don't know what to make of. Are, are we getting the the triple double Zaire Williams? Or are we getting the Zaire Williams that Bill Walton compared to George Gervin, that effortless scorer we got early in the year, or the guy who? I mean, what do you even rank him on his team at, as terms of production? Like De Silva, probably like Jaden Delaire ahead of him right now too. It's just for me the the fear is the inconsistency of we thought maybe it was an injury, then he had some time away from the team. They have their own stuff going off off the court as a guy who's in the top ten and still having so many questions around what he's going to be able to score and produce every game. Like that's the scary part for me. Yeah, I think for me, it all comes back to core strength. How strong is he? Uh, if he's strong throughout his core, I think this jump shot probably improves because uh, he can just repeat his mechanics a little bit easier. He can play through contact a little bit better. Um, like, I think that the strength aspect is the number one thing. And I'm almost willing to give him like a touch of a pass on that this year because like Stanford has been living like in strange hotels where like, right. They haven't had access to like a weight room really, so like he hasn't been able to yeah, keep up with that. You're, you're doing push up, yeah, you're doing push ups in the hallway, hoping you can figure it out and get some strength. Right. So like, I think that there's a real like uh, a real excuse for Zaire with what I think his biggest strength and we- with what his biggest weakness is, which is his strength. But man, like he's gonna have to shoot it too. Like there, there's enough yeah. there that he's like he makes free throws. Like maybe that's a great sign, but he's gonna have to shoot it. And I mean, I'm he a he was bit out. Concerned. He was out January, so January 16th, they played Colorado, and then he was out again till February 11th. So since February 11th, they played four games. It's had seven points, six points, nine points, and then two points versus they played Colorado a second time, Utah, Washington, and Washington State. With all due respect, those aren't like the heaviest hitters in the world either. So it's not, it's not even like it was this crazy level of competition. He was, taken out of his game i mean he was one for eight last game four for six game before he's just he hasn't had double digit shots since he came back and that's also probably a byproduct of stanford playing a different game with o'connell and delaire and like i said um, sorry de silva has been playing so much better but i kind of just want more of the old zaire we saw that's getting double digit points and has seven or eight assists seven or eight rebounds it's more well-rounded game okay let's go do jalen suggs next so we haven't yeah. talked about Jalen Suggs in forever, I feel like. No, we've got a lot of like Corey Kisper, but not a, not a ton of Jalen Suggs lately. 
and like Jalen Suggs is very clearly their top prospect. Um, the thing for me remains that I just don't know how good of a shooter he is. Uh, mm-hmm. He started out just like incredibly hot. And since then has been just not nearly as hot. He's been, uh, I think over the course of WCC play, he's actually shooting 27% from three. So wh- what do we do with Jalen Suggs knowing that the shooting has come back down to earth a little bit now? Yeah, I mean, he started off so hot, and I remember sitting and watching that game. We had seven threes over the holidays and being like, okay, I saw this kid a lot on the Under Armour circuit, explosive athlete, able to get his own shot, gets in the lane. Now he's got a floater, but he was never – he was a capable shooter, but he wasn't, like, known or billed as a shooter. It wasn't, like, hard closeout, run him off the line, make him beat you off the bounce. So for him to kind of get back down to that, like, 35% three-point shooting – which is really lower, like you said, if you just take into account conference play and we throw out the non-conference stuff. I think he'll be respectable. Again, he has form that uh, that looks okay. I don't, I don't, he doesn't release it. I'm like, oh, man, this could could go anywhere. But you want to start trending back in the other direction and not these games where he's 0 for 4, 0 for 5, especially when he gets a crunch time now and guys are going to start defending him, I would guess, a little bit differently and closing out harder on the wings to guys like Corey Kispert. Yeah, and how, how does he adjust to that is kind of where I'm at, too. Uh, I think he's just athletic enough to beat guys at the end of the day, though. Like, he plays with real power mixed with explosiveness to where he's one of the few athletes that also has real, like, vision and ability in ball screens and, like, ability to finish at the basket, frankly, as well. To where I, I kind of think he just might be okay beating all of these guys and yeah. like beating coverages. <laughs> and that's what he did against San Diego. He was 0 for 3 from 3, but he still finished with 17 points and shot 7 for 14 from the field. Like, it wasn't falling, so he was able to adjust on the fly and not just put his head down and say, okay, I, I'm not be able to shoot today. Like, he's still finding ways to be productive. And there's been games where he has 8 points, 4 points, 9 points, but... Gonzaga's so loaded and he's able to blend in when he needs to that it's not this glaring thing for a guy like Cade if he has five turnovers like you know every single turnover like you can feel it yeah with with Jalen I mean he has been a bit more turnover prone than like most guards in that Gonzaga offense I will say that like most of the guards that have been there in the past like really don't turn the ball over in the way that Jalen has uh not that it's like a terrible thing or anything but like among their guards, I mean, he has nearly twice as many turnovers, uh, per game. Like he plays fewer minutes per game than Andrew Nemhard. Uh, and Andrew Nemhard has literally under half of the turnovers that Jalen Suggs does. Joel Ayayi is turning it over 1.5 times per game to Jalen Suggs 2.7. Like Aaron Cook is not turning the ball over really when he's out there. So I think that like the context of how easy Gonzaga tends to make things on guys. In terms of like their ball screen, like continuity offense, like the fact that he is turning it over as much as he is is probably notable as well. But I just think he's kind of a stud. Like I'm, I'm in. Like those turnovers are not they're they're born out of aggression. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. No, I, I like I don't I don't fear that stuff really either because this is my hand wave a little bit of like okay he is still young he is still a freshman he is still driving the bus for the number one or number two team in the country. Like you're going to see more ball pressure right away. Uh, he'll be able to figure out too within the NBA game, how to get rid of the ball more as well. Like, I don't think he's necessarily going to over dribble coming out of pick and roll. 
he'll advance it up the sideline, let somebody else maybe take the first move at the basket and then recover, and he'll be able to rip through and, and do that floater that he's added. So I, I also don't know if he's going to play point guard all the time. I don't know if that's like a, a hottish take, but he can be in one of these backcourts with a bigger guard and interchangeably play either position. All right, let's finish out the top five and go Jalen Green. Uh, just kind of continually decision-making with Jalen Green. He's been better as the G League Ignite season has gone, though. Like, there, there's a real case he's been better than Jonathan Kaminga throughout the entirety of the Ignite's play in the bubble, right? Yeah, I, I would argue I, I like Kaminga's ceiling more than Jalen Green, but Jalen Green, you could see more of like this plug-and-play, not a point guard for me, but combo to electric, off the off the dribble, uh, away from the ball. I mean, he had that play the other day, I think two games ago, where it was designed to be like a side back door with like a ball fake. And that's what the defender bites on. And then you go and it was supposed to be a dunk. He, he changed his pace so well that he stopped on a dime and took off and the defender didn't even recover. Like he didn't even need the ball fake. Like that's the type of athlete he is. The decision making stuff's getting better. I mean, he had the reputation as, searching a little bit for his own shots on the grassroots level he he shored that up when he was playing usa basketball he has gotten better i'd say game by game for the most part i'd argue some that like the jumper still isn't a surefire thing for me either like the shots going in a little bit he came back down to earth last game but i'm not completely sold on him as being like this valuable three-point shooter as well yeah i think that's totally reasonable to be honest, I think that that is something that he's going to need to iron out, but I also think he's going to like guys get better at shooting. It's the easiest thing to improve once you get to the NBA, right? Yeah. And and it's not like it's bad. I mean, he's shooting 37%, but he had a few games of offers, especially early where it's like, I don't, I don't know if he, he wasn't using athleticism as well. And, and Brian Shaw did a good job of getting him involved early in the offense now of, okay, let's let's get him for a lob, let's get him for a back screen, because he's kind of one of these guys that once he gets a basket and gets going, the momentum of his game can change as well. All right, let's uh, let's jump down to a weird one. Let's go with Kai Jones. Is Kai Jones' biggest weakness playing time? <laughs> That's not really like a, a huge weakness. This, these are actually the last. I have like a combo pack of Kai Jones and Greg Brown. Can we do that? Yeah, let's do the Texas guys. That'll be good. Okay, so... Kai Jones, 57% from the field, 44% from three. His last five games, loss versus Oklahoma State, 22 minutes, 11 points, nine rebounds, five turnovers, five fouls. Win versus Kansas State, 20 minutes, three points, three rebounds. Win versus TC, 27 minutes, seven points, zero rebounds. Loss versus West Virginia, 25 minutes, four points, two rebounds, two blocks, and a bad bobble toward the end of the game. Then he wins versus Kansas, 21 minutes, 10 points, 8 rebounds. He's so intriguing at 6'11 with, with the long arms, ability to move, switch, defend, stretch the defense with the threes. And I, and I like the jumper when he's straight up and down. I wish he wouldn't go immediately into a jab step sometimes, just catch and shoot. I don't know why he right. keeps going to that. Uh, you could argue the post moves are still kind of an adventure, but he has decent vision. He's added a, a step back. But I just like don't totally trust him to be under control. I mean, he bobbled that. Jericho Sims passed with 30 seconds left in regulation versus West Virginia. Uh, he wasn't even on the floor for the end of the game for that controversial no call at the rim. The problem is, if you kind of make a highlight tape, he looks like a top five pick. But sometimes the whole picture of the game leaves questions. I, mean, I was watching the other night against Kansas, and 
he didn't even play like the end of regulation and into overtime until David McCormick fouled out. And that goes the same for Greg Brand. Like those guys were on the bench. We're talking about two guys in the top 15 that don't even play on their own team. So, I mean, that's kind of my, those are kind of my Kai Jones hangups before we transition into Greg Brown. Well, so with Kai, I think that the problem that Kai runs into is that Jericho Sims is a genuinely good collegiate defender, right? Like he makes an impact around the basket. His presence is really felt. Um, Kai Jones, because of that, is often shoehorned into playing the four. And I don't think he's as good as Jericho Sims defensively at the five, which ends up being the reason why they're like worse when Kai Jones is out there versus when Jericho Sims is out there, right? Um, they're just generally way better with Sims out there because of the ability to defend and make high level defensive reads. But it also kind of holds back Kai to play him at the four because a lot of his game is based on perimeter abilities and a lot of these fours can guard him out on the perimeter. So like where he would get his best marginal value is by playing the five as often as he can. And look like he gets minutes at the five. Like, I don't mean to just like hand wave this as well, but I would like to see him more in lineups with, out sims i think you know what i mean i do and and sims is so big and strong i get it matched up with david mccormick from kansas who's who's huge he's a huge human being so and like i don't want to make it sound like i'm taking shots at shaka because i'm not like i think that he's doing frankly like what's right for the team right now like they swept they swept kansas which hasn't been done by a team since like 2003 or I, i don't know what the stat was the second team to do it in however many years the Kai Jones thing that it's a little interesting is like he wants to be a three though, and he's not. But like we're arguing about splitting the difference when he really wants to be a perimeter guy. The defense I'm a little worried about, despite his athleticism. I don't know how he only has 14 blocks this year. Like that seems strange to me, given how athletic he is. But he's he's become this guy that two or three times a game you're like I don't know many other players at that position that can do that. He had the run last game where. It's a fast break. Everyone's kind of like jogging a little bit. He hits turbo and like speeds ahead and gets a dunk. It's like no one's catching him. And then oh. the end of the end of the game, there's some loose ball and he like flips himself up like a pro wrestler, like Shawn Michaels does. And it's like, I don't know many 6'11 guys that can do that either. So when Kai Jones, I'm pulling these numbers per pivot analysis as we're talking about it. When Kai Jones and Jericho Sims are on the floor together, Kansas is only plus two per 100 possessions when sims is off and kai jones is on kansas is plus eight and a half so i think that it's pretty clear that we need to get to a point where like we can find kai some time without jericho sims right but i also don't know that we're gonna get that chance either because i don't know if we should get that chance because Jericho Sims is like a very important part of Texas holding things together on defense. And when Jericho Sims is out there without Kai Jones, Texas is a plus 20 net rating. So like, I don't know. It's tricky. It's not the easiest conversation because we want to see this guy that has an incredible upside. Like Kai Jones has, I think as much upside as frankly, any big man not named Evan Mobley in this class. Um, if not more upside than any big man not named Evan Mobley in this class. Um, <laughs> right. Like, who who would even be next? Like, it might be, like, Isaiah Jackson, Dayron Sharp, Usman Garuba, like, that class of player. And that's just, like, not... That's a drop, not, yeah. Yeah, that's a big drop to me. So, 
it's hard. Like it almost reminds me a little bit of Bam at a bio, but then you remember that like Bam was way better than Kai Jones is in college. Yes. Yes. Like it's not even close really like Bam, even though he wasn't used offensively in the way that you would have loved to see like Bam in the last month of his career had one game where he was in single figures uh, scoring wise. Like he was a monster early in the season uh, where he went, I want to say it was looking through it about 14 straight games in double figures. Like Kai Jones, man, we're like a little bit lucky when we get Kai Jones in double figures right now. Oh, yeah, just, I mean? just rat- rattle off the last five games. I mean, double figures or an over for rebounds, which I don't think Bam out of bio would ever do. Yeah. And like the Bam unlocking of, oh, he can like facilitate a little and dribble a little. We just didn't know that that was there. I don't, think that we kind of like unlocked that with kai jones but yeah maybe there is some other skill that we've overlooked or just not even thought about because he is playing roughly 23 minutes a night yeah it's uh it's really really impressive really really impressive um i just would like to see more he's a really impressive talent i should say is maybe the way to put it so let's go to greg brown now yeah and and they're kind of like similar it's like i think they both think they should be like these perimeter-ish players and they're they're similar in that sense I mean, Greg Brown, he, he's like the last five games, 20-ish minutes, and it, it's just been trick-or-treat. You lose to Oklahoma State, five points, 10 rebounds, and then you play West Virginia three games later. He has zero points, 0 for 4, all from three, but he has eight rebounds and four fouls. He has five assists all year, which uh, like he didn't have an assist from November 30th to February 2nd, which is a little alarming if you're not even just like moving the ball to a shooter for an assist. like. I, just for NBA nerds, like it just makes me think of Yinka Dare when he went 58 games without an assist growing up. It's like, is he going to get an assist today or no? And I don't know why he's so, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is hell bent on being a three point shooter. Uh, he's not the best driver either. He's kind of best in that like dunker spot, short corner. And there was a play versus TCU where Matt Coleman drives and Greg Brown's defender steps to help. He cut baseline and dunks. I just like want more of that guy. I just don't I don't know necessarily what the interest is if he's a six nine jump shooter that's thirty five percent from three and, and keeps shooting. I mean for the year he's taken eighty five twos and, and seventy seven threes. And for the modern NBA, you want bigs that can do that, but he's just so incredibly talented athletically that I'd like to see him use that more to his advantage. So Greg Brown, uh, that, that number that you just pulled out, right? Greg Brown <laughs> went over 250 minutes without an assist. That Honestly, seems... like it's impressive. It's like, that's like yeah. the club trillion of people who like actually play though. Like it's just not even like I stunk. Okay. Like I was not good at basketball senior night. I still had an assist because I just reversed the ball and James life had a three to not have like one of those. It, it's just. It's difficult. Kind of wild. Um, so Greg Brown, you remove those first four games of his season. So the quote unquote Maui Invitational that was held in Asheville, North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Texas Rio Grande Valley. Do you, if you remove those four games, do you know what Greg Brown is shooting from three this year? I, I don't have it in front of me. I'm going to guess 31%. 42. Oh, okay. Even better. Well, yeah. he, he came out. He came out rough, and I, I you probably have it in front of you. He had a game where he's like zero for six as well, I think. So his first three games, he was zero for three, zero for four, zero for three, one for five from three. Okay, 
and you remove those games. So we're now 15 games here. This is like a relative, not a large sample, but like the large sample of his se- of his season so far in his collegiate career. He's been a pretty good shooter. So I, I don't. It's hard. Like I, I'm kind of okay with him shooting those threes if they're going to go in the way. Scare me has. though. Yeah, it's like if, if guys are just going to leave him to shoot. Like, I don't know. I, he's like, again, he can do that with everything else, but he just seems so intent on proving that he can be that jump shooter. Whereas if you do everything else and then you wear the defense down so much that finally you're open from three and knock it down. It's a dagger. Like totally get that pick and pop your wide open, have to shoot. Totally get that. But like early offense stuff or when you go a whole game for West Virginia and you don't take a field goal other than three in 24 minutes, like that's, that's a little bit, uh, a little bit alarming as well. Yeah. But you, you hit the nail on the head. Like the biggest thing with Brown is the passing. Um, he, he is a one to eight and a half assist turnover ratio. Uh, that's a, that's a number that that's is, a, <laughs> yeah, that's like, a record for something, right? Yeah. That's going to be like almost disqualifying for like some analytics people on teams like it's gonna, that's gonna like knock him down like immensely immensely in these conversations for some analytics folks and in these analytic models and like look i would say that analytics models for nba teams are what like fucking 10 percent of the conversation maybe yeah but it's it's enough you know what i mean that it's gonna be brought up at the end of the day yeah and i didn't even really notice it until i i dug into stuff and then then once you do and watch the game it's it's a lot more glaring it's kind of unreal <laughs> little he passes um and, and like passes to danger right passes for like threatening opportunities for his teammates like never does that really it's all escape passes or right. getting the ball stripped or uh not passing just period right so weird player tough to evaluate right now um greg brown we've talked enough about the tennessee guys right like we've talked about them the last two podcasts we've done yes do we have anything we want to mention on keon johnson just it's the shot if keon yeah no it's the shot you want you want the kentucky keon johnson and not the i don't know i guess the vanderbilt keon johnson last game where he has six points and he's one of six from the field and one of five um i just it's 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 the shooting because the athleticism there he's bouncy enough he's making a little bit better reads he's being more assertive those guys have definitely been let loose to run and play a little bit of more of a free open system but when it gets tightened up again you have to run half court sets like you want the guy to be able to shoot and then Jaden springer it's just kind of like the bully ball mentality i would say for me um trying to go into guys like springing off of two feet instead of trying to go around them and finishing with real craft right yeah i believe he had double digit free throw attempts last night and and that kind of stuff does work in college but does it work in the nba when the guy's 20 pounds stronger and can hold his ground i mean his, his shot's been okay and it's uh it's it's the world famous patrick williams small sample doesn't have a ton of minutes playing his role type sell but he has it, it's i don't know how to put this him and keon johnson like despite the the ebbs and flows tend to be trending up draft boards which i'm not like totally against but it, it did kind of give me pause to like all right you had some some good games but the concerns are still there but they seem to be trending upward okay i'm gonna go with like the let's go with the uh expert level evaluation here what what do oh, we do boy. with 
Dayron Sharp at this point. Because I'm honestly, <laughs> like, really not totally sure. The more I watch him, the more that I like him. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, you kind of killed me the mock draft when I took him, like, 28th. And now I'm seeing him pop up 22nd. I'm like, all right, we can circle back here. Yeah, like, I almost think he's a top 20 player in this class. Um, you take out those first, like, nine games where North Carolina was still figuring out, like, how the fuck to play. Right? Right. Uh, 12 points, nine rebounds, shooting 53% from the field. He misses a lot of those, like, bunnies around the basket, but he kind of has, like, the Andre Drummond syndrome where he rebounds a lot of them, so they end up, like, not actually being misses. You know what I mean? Like, not harmful misses is the way to put it. Right. So, I, I don't know. Like, I, I kind of like him. I, and, like, the thing is that he makes these plays sometimes. Like, there's play the end of the Louisville game where he, like, Sprints into a passing lane, gets a steal with, like, his left hand, gets the ball, corrals it with real coordination, takes, like, three or four dribbles, gets down the court, and, like, finishes, like, at the basket in transition. It was very impressive. Uh, What do we... Do we think there's more, like, latent skill there? I kind of think that there is. Uh, maybe a little bit. I mean, the, the Louisville game's a tough one, too, because they were coming off a long break. They hadn't practiced, and it was it clearly just not a game. It was 99-54, yeah, like, like, and it, it, it was over Chris early. Mack, but. Chris Mack was, like, throwing shots, like, at his, seem- seemingly at least. I don't want to necessarily put, like, words in Chris Mack's mouth. But he was, like, kind of throwing shots at, like, his athletic department, it seemed. Like, <laughs> I, I thought you were going to reference the... Uh, the Kentucky hype video that released, but we'll stick with the AD one. But he w- he was good in that in that Louisville game. He is another one of these guys that's only kind of playing twenty minutes a night. So when he gets you ten and eight, it can pop a little bit. I, I think he has a little bit of a mean streak too, but not a not a three point shooter. So that's kind of like backed him up a little bit for me too because I'm just always of the the philosophy that you can get bigs later, and the top twenty should still be swinging for these wings that may have. A higher upside, but there is something there where he's separated himself to me anyway among these North Carolina bigs as somebody that can be drafted late first round and he's not going to hurt you. I, I don't know how high the ceiling is, but I don't think you're going to regret it as a pick either. I agree. If he can move his feet on the perimeter, and I kind of think he might be able to, like, I, I think that I might buy him a little bit in terms of he's like one of those bigger guys because he's like 260 pounds yeah he's a big boy yeah who's like light on his feet though and uses his strength well on the perimeter to like do things i I, the more that i watch dayron sharp the more i'm like actually pretty interested in him as a Uh, prospect yeah and another guy that seems to have a little bit of buzz among NBA people and analytics people because of what he is able to produce in, in smaller windows. Maybe he slenders down a little bit and add some of a shot. I haven't obviously been to any games and I don't know if he's doing like the pregame jump shooting like we talked about last year with Isaiah Stewart. Like, no, 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 he can shoot. Like, people have seen it. Oh, but so the shot he, looks, the shot does not look good for Daron. No, it like, doesn't. Even but, at the foul line, it does not. But, look good. Yeah. But if we're trying to unlock hidden skills, like, that's one that would be a big swing set. Yeah. If he can shoot, he's like, it may be starting NBA center. Like if he can actually shoot, you throw in the passing ability, you throw in the fact that he's light yeah. on his feet, you throw in that he's a great rebounder, like his skill set, which is real, his coordination, like that m- really might be a starting center that is worth taking right. in the top 20 of this draft. I mean, I, I don't think I really but buy the shot, but no, I don't yeah. either. I'm, I'm reaching. He's 50% a shooter from the free throw line, but I'm saying if he, he's able to expand his game beyond just a, 
a hard five at 6'11", 265, maybe have a little bit more value. Okay. What player do you want to talk about next? I'll, I'll throw the floor to you, maybe. Ooh, let me see. Let me let me pull up the board here for, for guys that are worthwhile. Let's talk... Do you want to talk Franz Wagner? Yeah, it's... Wagner's interesting. It's just the jumper for him, right? Yeah. Like, we, we just need to see Franz Wagner knock down shots, because he's at 36%. Like, he's not a bad three-point shooter by any stretch. He made... 31% last season. He's been at 83 from the line uh, over the course of both his freshman and sophomore seasons. But he really just needs to shoot. Like, he's like a six foot nine, like, awesome defender as much as anything. Um, but he needs to be like a, not just a shooter, but like a 38 to 40% like gunner a little bit. Yeah. And he's quick enough with the catch and shoot stuff, but he just has to convert. He wasn't great against Ohio State this weekend. But with the way the draft is shaking out a little bit, and we still have some time here, he seems like one of these guys who's become more of a sure thing type pick, though. Like, you you know what you're going to get. You're not going to be surprised. Like, maybe the ceiling's not as high, but the floor's not as low. Like, it's a high floor where he can be this contributing rotational guy, even though it's not necessarily going to wow you if you're you're sitting down and watching a game of a guy six foot nine doing, like, this small running righty hook and... Then you look up and he's got 15 points. Right. Um, is there anything else that worries you with Wagner? Like he's actually a really good passer. He's a good decision maker. He kind of, like he does everything you're looking for from like a role player. I think uh, I I would kind of expect at this point that he'll be a top 20 pick if he leaves. Yeah. No. I, I would I would say so too. And we sit down and and do the draft and do the big board, which which you've completed too. Like after six, you just kind of have this hole of like who's gonna move up and he's he's going to move up too because michigan should be in the mix to make a, a run here in march whatever a run looks like in our current state of affairs uh foot speed a, a little bit concern for me not a huge one but just just a confident guy driving and there is some stuff there that makes you believe he could be a an nba role player i just i don't want to like stamp it but I, I don't see the kid ever necessarily being a star at least not right away yeah i agree with that uh, let's go to, let's go to Io DeSumo because. Good one. Io polarizing prospect. Like very polarizing. I think he's starting to creep up a little bit in the minds of NBA teams, uh, that I talked to. And that could be in part because there's just like, are you going to take the sure thing or are you going to take the guy who, uh, might not like be a high level NBA player? Like, are you going to take, uh, Josh Giddy, who I like, or are you going to take Io DeSumo, who, is averaging 21, six and five on 49, 40, 78 in the college game and is like very clearly a top five player in college basketball right now. And a triple double versus Minnesota. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he had one early in the year and then had one like last week or whatever. Uh, just a high usage guy, I think is kind of the, the hold up for me. It's like you pull that back. What's he able to do in, in spurts and in shorter minutes, probably off the bench. And then when he had a, a more athletic defender on him when they played Michigan State and Aaron Henry, he had a hard time. He was six for eighteen and just came out before we start recording that he broke his nose during that game. He's gonna be out a little bit of time here. So when you have better better wing defenders that are really tuning in on you, how's that gonna change when he's on an NBA court? But I, I've seen similar and talked to similar. It seems like he's at least uh, an end of the first round guy right now. Yeah. I think he is. I have him higher than that, as you guys will see Ooh. tomorrow. Okay. Um, I am a fan. 
of Io, but I think that teams just really have the question on the jumper still. If he can shoot, like, and he continues to prove that he can shoot, I would venture that he is probably going to end up being a top 25 pick. Uh, just kind of straight up because that's where the holdup is. If he can shoot, he's certainly a second side shot creator, right? Yes. I, I agree with that. It's just the wildness seems to be reeled in that he had a little bit, which was one of the concerns from last year before I came back to school and Illinois has been up and down, but he seems to be at least with that group, the the steadying hand as crazy as it may sound. I don't know if we'd necessarily say that a year ago. Okay. How many more do we want to run through here before we get? I got here? one more. I want your take on. Okay, let's do it. Moses Moody. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. So what, last night, I think he had 24 points in a win versus Alabama. Uh, I like, hmm, how do I put this? Like had some free throws, missed some stuff from three. Anytime anyone closed out hard on him, he kind of just like reversed the ball, gets his points on the offensive glass. Are we buying he's as good of a shooter as kind of being sold to us? <laughs> See, like, it's wait, almost wait, not well, well, What was that reaction? That was like a cartoon character, you know, with like steam coming out of their ears and trying to figure out what to say. It's almost not the shooting that worries me. It's the, like, is there like some Aaron Naismith here? With yeah, to- Moses Moody, totally. Just in I, terms of like game, like where I, there's not a crazy amount of it. <laughs> I know you're going there. Uh, I think most of Booty's body is a little bit better, and I've, I've watched a lot of Naismith with the Celtics, and he's not there yet. I mean, at least for for Moody, he's done it against quality SEC opponents, where Aaron Naismith, I think, played one game in conference before he got hurt and shut it down. So yeah. his numbers are kind of inflated playing a, a weaker non-conference schedule. So I'll give him credit for that. I just think he's still best as this catch-and-shoot guy, but does he do enough? off the dribble or is he just kind of got to be this three and D guy and some people have him like sixth and some people have him like 22. So there's a, a wide range, but I don't really know kind of where I think he ends up because you put him next to Corey Kisper. It's like, okay, well, Corey Kisper's a better shooter if we're just kind of going three and D ish. So I don't know where he kind of fits in the equation. So Moody definitely has more defensive upside than Corey Kisper. I think. Yes. It was a very good defender at Mount Verde Academy, too. So, like, that's a, a, a thing that's carried over. He's bought in. Like, he does defend. Yeah. I don't think he's nearly as gifted as an offensive player. I don't think he sees the court as well as Kispert does. I don't think he attacks closeouts as well. Kispert's obviously just, like, a better shooter because Corey Kispert's the best shooter in this draft class. So, of course, he's a better shooter, right? Um Corey Kispert this year is, uh, by the way, his, his 60, 50, 90 race is unfortunately slowing, but yeah. <laughs> he is still at 56, 46, 88. I, I'm, I'm telling you, man, we're cursed. I put out like a quick video of how he's an otherworldly shooter and then goes 0 for 4 for 3 the next game. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. But, but with Moody, um, too, it's like he he was 16 for 19 from the free throw line last night, which you credit to the guy for getting to the free throw line, but that ain't that's just not happening in the NBA. You're, you're just not getting those calls, and you're not getting that many opportunities at the rim either. Yeah, I don't really see him, like, blowing by defenders on closeouts, right? Like, I, I just don't see that when I watch him. Like, he had 
10 free throws against Mississippi Valley State. He had 10 against Texas Arlington. He had 10 against Missouri earlier this year. He had seven against Florida, six against Missouri, like six against Oral Roberts, who, by the way, Oral Roberts, sneaky. I'm going to throw a couple names out there for people. Uh, Max Abmes, who is their point guard. He is awesome. Their point guard is fucking incredible. Have you watched him yet? <laughs> I have not. No, I'm not going to pretend to. So he is... I, I have the name. I've seen the name, but I haven't watched yeah, him play. 24 points. Uh, he's hitting 46% on nine three-point attempts per game. Uh, he is awesome. He's like this little six-foot-one guard who is uh, has really good feel for the game as well. Yeah, I love that kid. Um, I, I would not mind like he's one of the few guys like at that level that i think could transfer up like and be like a carly jones next year pretty mm. easily not that i'm trying to steal him from oral roberts whoever <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a lot of transfers we don't want oral roberts bad blood on here yeah um but with moody i just don't see that like level of explosiveness in a way that like is going to translate to those high free throw numbers. So he's going to have to shoot it at the high level. And I think he'll shoot it at a high level, but like, will it be high enough? And will he finish at the basket well enough? In his last five games, he's gone three for eight, oh for three, two for three, one for seven, one for seven inside the two point line or inside the three point line. So for the two point shots and He's buoyed that through like the crazy free throw numbers, but like, I don't really see those happening. So can he finish inside in a way that works? It's just a tricky, he's a tricky prospect in a lot of ways. Like the shooting in the defense gives him a floor, but I, I don't know what to do with that floor. You know what I mean? Right. And, and Aaron Eastmith was ridiculous. Again, we said that it was more because they're playing non-conference guys, but he was 52% from three his last year, which is ridiculous, hitting an average of 4.3 threes per game. Like, I don't know if you're going to get that every night from Moses Moody. I think he's crafty enough to find other ways to impact the game, whether that's on the glass or defensively or finally hitting a, a trailer three or guy comes off a ball screen and he's opposite in the corner. Uh, but yeah, 37%. I want that to be a, a little bit higher here if, if he's going to be buoyed, I guess, as a three and D type of guy. Okay. So Moody was the last one you want to talk about. We kind of mentioned Kispert. Kispert is just whether or not he can move his feet enough defensively, right? Yes. Um, I think he will. And I think he'll be a high level defender because he's smart and like actually kind of a sneaky athlete explosiveness wise. So I don't know that we need to dive deep there. I think that's about all I want. I mean, do we want to talk book night before we move to our last little topic here? Yeah, that was the last guy. And we talked about a little last pod. It, it's just the consistency of the shooting. You want to see him be able to do that. And I'd say a little bit more size. So he's not bumped, but just a explosive athlete. And when he gets in the lane and takes off, like forget about it. I just concerned a little bit if he's able to finish that same way against bigger, stronger players and he'll be fine as long as the three can be consistent and he can extend his range zone. So for me, it's shooting. Like, That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like, can he actually, like you kind of mentioned the, um, the finishing, like extension and finishing, like I mean, James book night now has shot 34.7 and 32.6 from three. The shot looks fine, I think. Like, there's no reason to think that he won't be a fine three point shooter, but a guy that's like six foot five and 190 pounds, and he's been good defensively this year. That's kind of been a sneaky thing that he doesn't get enough credit for, I don't think. But if you're not going to be a great passer and you're not going to be a great shooter, you're almost going to have to be like this incredible driver. I think that this player needs to be like a very high level shooter for this to work at the next level in the way that you're hoping for, for uh, a player that is 
you know, I might have in the top 10. Uh, I definitely have in the top 10 just because of if the shot, I mean, he's only 15 for 46 from three all year and he's been injured. But I mean, he took eight against Villanova. He's three for eight. who just one for three last game against Georgetown. So it, something's there. You just, you want to see more of it and hope that he's able to figure that piece out while adding a little bit more strength and hopefully he was, he was banged up a little bit. He had the, the surgery and then he was on the bench some, I think it was last game of the game before, you know, with the trainer and those issues. So just be able to plow through and, and play through contact and hopefully get to the end of the year and make the tournament because they are a completely different team with him in the lineup. Okay. So we've kind of picked these guys apart now. Let's talk positively about some guys. So the guy that I want to bring up is Derek Alston at Boise State. I think Derek Alston is like a very real guarantee guy in this upcoming NBA draft. He's averaging 18 points, four rebounds, two and a half assists. Last year, the assist numbers were better. He's shown that he can pass the ball. I'm not really worried about that. Has something of a long release, but it's very clean. Uh, And over the course of his career, he's really made shots. He's at five three-point attempts per game over the course of his career. uh, 47 or 471 three-point attempts and he's made those at 38 percent he's made 380 free throw attempts at 82 percent and oh yeah by the way he's six foot nine and like plays like a guard and the big thing with alston was he has high hips and like can be moved around and wasn't particularly strong he's starting to put on strength now too like he can actually handle the ball and he's much stronger and much more physical and willing to play through contact i think Derek alston is a legit like top 40 to 45 prospect that nobody is talking about right now. And I think he deserves props. And a cool story too. So David Southern wrote an article on the athletic a year ago that when he got to campus, he's 148 pounds and now he's 190. He was a, a walk on. He didn't have any other division one offers. He redshirted his freshman year, then played 11 games as a redshirt sophomore, I think for like 26 minutes total. Uh, and now he's jumped into this star for Boise state. That's in first place. At 14 and 3 in conference ahead of San Diego State and Colorado State because, frankly, Boise State's played three more games. Hang up for me as a prospect is he hasn't really produced against the big boys yet. He had zero points yeah. a season over versus Houston. He had 12 points versus BYU. And now the Mountain West has these, I don't want to use the term weird because it's been normalized, these back to backs where you play a team like Thursday and, and then Saturday. So you're the same team, same location with the day in between. So he played Wyoming twice, Colorado State twice, etc. He did have a good stretch last three games of 27 versus UNLV, and then 26 and 23 versus Utah State. You said it, I do like his frame. Comes off ball screens fairly well. Just still shies from contact, and, and that strength and size will hopefully change some of that. He had one really solid move, I thought, in transition against Utah State where he had a Euro step. He looked fluid to finish. I don't love the shot as much as you do. It's it's not the quickest release. It's a little bit of like this this weird bend where he can pull the string on the follow-through some. But he is pretty confident in his game. He'll, he'll back his man down some of the mid-post. He knows how to use floaters, a fairly tight handle. But for now, the scout's going to be make him uncomfortable, front him, give him different looks. And doesn't hurt that his dad is Derek Alston, who is a former draft pick of the 76ers and now head coach of the Westchester Knicks of the G League. Okay, who is your pick to talk about with this? Well, I, I don't know if this one's near and dear to your heart, but I, somehow there's like uh, there's Easter eggs every episode. Like on Seinfeld, there was always like a Superman Easter egg every episode. This one is is 
Pittsburgh. Is it Max Abmess? No, no, it's it's Pittsburgh. It's Justin Champagny. And they're they're going through it a little bit right now. They had Xavier Johnson transfer. They had Adis Tony transfer today. So we got to give Justin, I think, a little bit of love. So they have a weird year. They lost opening night. They won seven straight, and they've lost seven of eight since. But averaging 19 points per game, 11.4 rebounds, one block, one steal, shooting 51% for the field, 33% from three. He had 31 and 14 versus Duke. He had 24 and 16 versus Syracuse, 24 and 21 versus Gardner Webb, 20 and 20 versus Northwestern. So he's producing. He's kind of this new school 4 3, 3 4, probably more on the four end of it. But he doesn't use his size to a detriment and rather to his advantage of he can do that side pick and roll, pick and pop, where he can isolate slower bigs, use his ball skills and speed to get by him. Knows how to adjust his body while in traffic with different release points to avoid being blocked. He uses body well in the post to work on the glass. Handles it well enough to take the rebound off the defensive glass and go. Fairly understands court spacing well and when to go back door and, and show guys different looks. The shot has not been falling from distance recently. And, and so, I mean, the 33% as a, as a stretch undersized four kind of hurts him. But he is tough. I, I'd like to see him declare, gather intel, and go back to school. But... With everything swirling there, you never know kind of what the next step is for him. Yeah, it feels like that pit program, uh, things don't look great right now. Maybe <laughs> let's, let's, uh, just leave it there. <laughs> yeah, just, just, just do a prospect deep dive. It, it's a cool story yeah. too, because his, tr- his twin brothers at St. John's had identical numbers for a while. They're both planning to go to pre- both planning to go to prep school. It was a quick recruitment by Jeff Capel once he was there. And uh, his brother actually played spring of his gonna be senior of a grassroots circuit and prep and committed to St. John's late. So to have two twins at different schools producing at such a high level, it's at least newsworthy. Yeah, I actually sneaky like Julian a little bit more. Uh, yes, Julian's a bit taller. Like Justin, you could tell me he's like six six and a half. Julian yeah, looks like, like he's yeah. like six eight out there, and I think Julian can shoot like. There's been some concern about whether or not the shooting numbers are real. He has like a left shot line where uh, he's really bringing the ball up from his left side. And, you know, it doesn't look like the mechanics are incredible here. He has like a bit of a pause and uh, everything. But he's really balanced with the shot. And I think that that's just going to keep improving. Like, I think that he can actually just really shoot it. I think he has touch. Um, now, obviously, needs to defend. And I think that Justin's game is much more complete at this stage. But for what the NBA is looking for, if Julian can just, like, compete defensively, and it's impossible to tell with St. John's scheme because they fucking press the entire game and, like, it's it puts the defenders in such a difficult position that, like, it's just not... We, we have no idea what Julian can do in half-court defense, really. You know, on a consistent basis, that is. If he can prove that he can do that, I really like him. I really like... uh Julian Champagny is like a, you know, top 50, top 60 guy, something like that. Yeah, they do run some decent sets for him where he can come off the screen to catch and shoot or, or curl into lane and, and use his length there. There is that value and potential ability to be a, a wing shooter with some in-between game. When they played Villanova, Jeremiah Robinson Earl did a really good job on him. He still finished with 16 points, but was 5 for 18. And you could tell in the first half with the Mizzou's kind of in his head a little bit, but he's also put up numbers. I mean, he had 29 and seven against DePaul. He had 24 and 10 versus Providence. He takes about six threes per game. He's definitely more perimeter based than his brother, Justin. I just 
see Justin as more of, like you said, a complete finished product right now. And I don't know if Julian will necessarily catch up to that, but Julian being a little bit taller, I think a little bit leaner, Justin's a little bit bigger. Maybe he piques the interest of NBA scouts some, but Justin's also found his way onto the draft boards lately too, because that end of the first into mid second is going to be kind of dicey. Forget just from a sense of of, like, it's going to be surprising. Yeah. From number six onward, <laughs> like we have no idea what's going to happen in this year. Uh, like I, I went through yesterday, I was talking to an agent and we were trying to figure out like how, how good mock, like people like me are at narrowing down, like, okay, who's going to be a first round pick, uh, by the time like mid February rolls around. Right. So yeah. last year, my third big board was like middle to end of February. We figured out and all of the top 21 guys that I had there. Uh, went in the first round. So pretty good, right? Like, I feel like that's pretty Great good number. number. Yeah. Um, all of the top, I think it was like 34 got drafted. So pretty great number, right? This year, I have no fucking confidence of that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm hoping that whenever the draft is, whether it's July or August, I really hope that there's fans there because we're setting ourselves up for all these moments of, yeah, before, like, I don't want to use the Knicks because they're going to hate every pick no matter what. But, like, oh, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers are about to pick. And you find, like, the one Cavs fan, like, in the crowd wearing, like, a Cavs shirt and hat. And they announce the name. And they just have their hands on their head. Like, I don't, like, I didn't see this coming. Like, how did Luca Garza go 14th? Like, what? Like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just surprised here. Like, there's going to be a lot of those moments where, like, the music hits and they say, selects, fill in the blank. And it's like, I don't, I, I didn't see that coming. Because the, the mock drafts all still find it. The New York Knicks select Phil Kessel. <laughs> and it's like, wait, what? Phil's playing Doesn't hockey play right hockey? now. What the fuck? <laughs> Kessel might be in there. Who just posted the video? Was it Miles Garrett playing basketball? Maybe, maybe he's going to get picked. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's, oh. it's, um, it, the music will hit and the guys will be drafted. And I don't have confidence in, in what it looks like. And, and most mock drafts kind of will have the same variable of three to five picks for guys. I, I'm just I'm bracing for some uh, some outlander selections because of the uncertainty. All right, last thing before I make you get out of here and put your child to bed. Um, <laughs> yeah. Have you watched anything good recently? On oh, go- good. I, I don't know. Good is a, a relative term. <laughs> um, I'm kind of waiting. I mean, my next my, my next move is like I'm waiting for HBO Max to update with uh, King Kong, Godzilla, and, and Mortal Kombat. I watched the the Steve Carell. Uh, political movie, Irresistible, which was yeah, that was fine. pretty bad. Unfortunately, yeah. he has his moments. You close your eyes and pretend he's Michael Scott. It's it's better. Yeah, yeah. I did not think it was very good. Unfortunately, um, watched the Britney Spears documentary. I did night. watch that. Yes, thoughts. Mm, we're we're we are a hashtag free Britney podcast at this point. Oh yeah, of course we're that. Yeah, like there's there's zero doubt, right? No, none at all. And it, it's also, it, it's very time and place. And it, it's, it's cringy looking back now in, in retrospect. It's, it's, I would say some of the stuff, a lot of the stuff that she had to go through as a, a child star and a female in the industry and the questions and all the expectations, the family and being pulled a, a hundred different ways. It was, uh, it was pretty sad, but to see some, some people on diehard fans rally around was, uh, at least a, a positive spin. And I think there's been like some updates in the case. The trial, I don't say case, uh, of the, um, what's it called? The conservatorship. conservatorship. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, I think the dad isn't as in control as it was before or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. The updates 
publicly, I, I just know that uh, the way she was treated was very gross. It was very gross. Um, looking back, and uh, it was very clearly just like such a real distinct element of misogyny in the industry at that point. And I feel terrible for the way she was treated. It's really gross. I suggest everyone go watch that documentary if you want to learn more about how gross tabloid culture was back in the early to mid 2000s. I feel like I was like still young enough at that point that I didn't really understand the whole thing because like i was still a teenager at that point like i guess i didn't understand how difficult um those women's lives were at that point um like i feel like it'd be miserable to have these people chasing you around literally everywhere you go yeah and and i'm the same way i just remember checking out the grocery store and you have like the national Enquirer and the sun and all these crazy extravagant headlines you don't think are like the back-end repercussions and now we live in such this instagram world and society where celebrities are like calling the paparazzi saying like hey i'm having lunch here if you want to like catch me walking out of my car where right people before is like this is not the way things are supposed to be not how life's supposed to be set up and you saw some of the breakdowns it's like i get it like you, you reach a breaking point where it's like enough i'm trying to go to the gas station and get a snickers like i, I don't really want to have my picture taken right now yeah, and then on top of it, like the way she's been taken advantage of, um, just professionally has been very gross as well. I mean, the, the other number that like really stood out to me, they said her estate is only worth $60 million. I, I that's a number that uh, confounds me given yeah. that she was making like $50 million a year theoretically in Vegas, just given the numbers that they use in the documentary. Like she was getting a million per week in vegas like how does i don't know how that lines up i guess is where i'm at yeah uh, and she did like the walkout the last one like yeah i'm not doing this yeah so i guess that i'm just a little bit confused on like are people like taking money from her like i mean that's the obvious point of the conservatorship i guess is that there's that concern that she's being taken advantage of but the fact that the estate was only worth that much money when we know that it should be worth way more like that was weird to me yeah, it, it, and you see all these other artists and, and what they make now, and the game has changed too with, with digital downloads, but she had been touring and merchandise and was the biggest star in the world for like a long time. It wasn't this one-year thing where you're an icon, it goes away. Like People are right. still striking outside of the courthouse because of their commitment to Britney Spears. Yeah, no question. So, Penny, tell the people where they can find your work. Oh, what a what a way to finish. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. And as Sam likes to say, rate, review, subscribe. We laugh at uh, the comments. We laugh at the uh, the good stuff, the bad stuff you post. So we get a kick out of that. Do more of that. Yeah. What's it? Um. What was the one that I sent you? I can't remember. I'm gonna find it while we're uh, <laughs> while we're uh, doing this. I'm not gonna was, um, name the name, but I, I think I figured out who did it. But yeah, Matt Penny is a legend. Matt Penny Lover 69 is the name <laughs> on uh, Apple Podcasts. Please uh, leave us all of the five star comments like that because we send them to each other and we laugh our asses off at it. So please uh, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. We'll be back next week with more from Penny. I might do another podcast late this week as well. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.